The reading this evening is from John chapter 8 and verses 12 to 30, and that's on page 1073 of the Pew Bibles. 1073, John 8, 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge... My decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Here we are. Excuse me. It is quite warm in here, so excuse the very slovenly water here. Hold on. It really is water, don't worry. Um, it, it seems strangely appropriate that we're doing uh, a talk about I am the light in uh, near the longest day of the year, the longest amount of daylight. It, it would seem inappropriate to be doing this sort of talk in December. Although, of course, we tend to think about December as the light of the world coming in, so maybe it would be okay. But certainly I know people have maybe been struggling with the, the early, early dawn and, and the late night in, in terms of trying to get to sleep. And uh, I know people living in the very far north, not of Northern Ireland, but, but right above the Arctic Circle where they have maybe six months 
of daylight uh, in the summertime, and that must be that must take a lot of getting used to. But we're thinking about I am the light of life, and this is the second of the I am's that we're hearing over over the summer months. And I'm very grateful to uh, Deborah last week because she's she's given me a lot of, of what I'm going to say tonight. So if you don't quite pick up what I've said, just listen to what Deborah said last night last week. It's far better than what I'm going to say anyway, but uh, it certainly applies. And one of the things that struck me. Um, over the over the the themes that we've been running the the New Testament uh, theme, or looking at the, at the books of the New Testament on Sunday nights, and also what what Danny was talking about uh, this morning, hopefully what I'm going to share with you um, this evening, and actually what Ruth was was talking about from Jude a couple of a couple of weeks ago, and many other bits. I, I find sometimes when I'm asked to do these things, it's it's not. It's not knowing what to say, it's what to knowing what to leave out, if you know what I mean. And that, that can be quite difficult. There just seems to be so much in this. So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is to just to get us to think a little bit about light and what natural light is and what real light is and to apply that to what Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. So we're going to think about physical light and, and how it works. And then we're going to think about spiritual light in terms of what Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And we're going to, at the end, consider the impact um, on you and me. What does it mean? Uh, so we're going to have a little bit of, of sort of thought, uh, uh, a few thoughts that I have. And then the important piece really tonight is between you and God through the Holy Spirit. And, and we'll come back to that a little bit later on. As you know, um, many of you know, I, I'm working in a school. I, I, I don't teach children. I've been promoted beyond that, uh, that damage that I can do to children. Um, but uh, those of you who are, who are teachers or are involved in schools or have visited schools, whatever, may be familiar with this KWL board. You'll see this in, in lots of different classrooms. And the K stands for what we know, uh, the W for what we want, and the L for what we have learned. And this is a, a concept that tries to make some sort of connection between the topics uh, that the children are learning. And the idea is that, uh, I suppose we go back to the dark ages, as I often describe it, when I was at school, topics were very, you know, you did this topic then, this topic then, this topic then, and it was all very isolated and, and, and very sort of neat. Um, and nowadays we're sort of thinking, well, what, what do the children know? What, how are we going to progress them on? And so on. It's certainly much more complicated than it was uh, when I started teaching. So I thought, well, let's, let's apply this to, to tonight. Let's use this concept. Uh, what do we know, what do we want to know, and what have we learned? So, first of all, again, I'm, I'm grateful to Deborah last week and, and to Ruth uh, last month for their um, talks on Jesus, uh, God saying, I am, and when Ruth shared um, about Jude. And I've been struck by this. Uh, first of all, in terms of what, what Deborah was saying uh, last week where God said, I am, and she made the point that the I am and, and the, the verb that was used, the, I kept thinking about the French, etre, to be, but the, the, the verb I am actually also meant I, I was. It means I am and it means I will be. So one of the things that struck me was that when God said I am, it was about the God of the past, the heritage. It was the God of the present, the God of the now, and it was the God of the future. And that's very important in terms of what we're thinking about in terms of the light. It also means that God is with us. And of course, we get this idea as well when we're thinking about Christmas. I'm determined to get Christmas into this quite often, aren't I? And we think of Emmanuel, God with us. So that idea of the I am God gives us our identity um, and it gives us our place in the world. 
And that's, that's very, very important to, to what we're thinking about later on. Ruth then, um, and Ruth's here tonight. I'm not sure if Deborah's here, but Ruth, Ruth's here tonight. So if I've got this wrong, Ruth, maybe you'd come up and tell, <laughs> tell her, no, you haven't got this right. There, there is a story of, of, of the preacher who, who, who preached a sermon, what he thought was a brilliant sermon. And I was going to point to this door. It wasn't you guys. Okay, you preached lots of good sermons, but this is not the one I'm talking about. And uh, he was met by, by a certain individual at the door, and, the, preacher, and the, 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 the man said to the preacher, oh, that was great. I loved what you said about this, and I agree with that, and I loved what you said about that, and I agree with that. And the preacher t- sort of took a step back and scratched his head because he had said the exact opposite of all those things. Um, so there is that, there is that danger in, in misinterpreting what somebody has said. But in Jude, we, we discovered that the, the danger that, that Jude and the church that Jude was involved with was from within. Uh, and, and there is an important area there in terms of it's all very well believing what I am the light of the world means and thinking about that. But what does it actually mean to us in our lives? What does it mean in Orangefield? And I was very struck again in terms of this connectedness with what Danny was talking about this morning and about events and not being mastered by the event, but thinking about God through each event, whether it's a good event or, or a sad event, um, and especially with the, with the coming of, of Gareth, our new minister. The danger was, was from within the church, but the light had not gone out. And again, you can see the connections already. The God of the past and the God of the present. So even if there are, are difficulties and challenges and all sorts of problems the light is still here. We may not be always be aware of it, and we may feel the darkness encroaching on us, but we know from history and, and from the Bible and from the testimony of others, we know that the light has always been here. We know that God has always been with us, and Jude had to be reminded, or was reminded, that the light had not gone out. Uh, uh, Ruth also taught us from Jude that the light is positive. It promotes truth. Um, if I said to you there's no such thing as darkness, you might sort of think, well, that, what, what, you know, that, darkness is absence of light. You, you can't have a device that shines darkness on anything, but you can have a, light, a device that will bring light. And darkness um, exists because there is no light. Okay, and that, that's important as well when Jesus says, I am the light. And, of course, uh, in Jude as well, light and God and Jesus helps us to discover the difference between right and wrong, and that's very important in terms of, of our application. If you can go home now, that's, that's the, the girls have done it all for me. Please don't go home now. Um, so we're going to think about light as the fundamental truth. How do we live in the light? And as I said later on, then at the end, we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to show us the eyes of the Lord. Now, when I was, when I was 16, we did um, exams. They were called O-levels. I still refer to GCSEs as O-levels, even though they've been GCSEs since 1986. But um, whenever we think about, about what light is, I would very often go to, to the dictionary to get a definition. And I thought these, these, def, these definitions were very good. I actually opened up a real page dictionary, you know, a dictionary with words and print and black and white on it, just to see if it was any different. So Google defined it. It's much easier when you're doing these things to, to go through Google. Google defined it as the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. I think we could agree with that. And the good old-fashioned uh, Chambers Dictionary, uh, they, it describes or defines light as the agency by which objects are made visible, electromagnetic radiation capable of producing a visual sensation. So it, it, delving into the science, which we'll think about in a, in a moment. I love that term agent and agency. It sounded quite mysterious. And I suppose in some ways when you're choosing words to describe what is, 
it can be quite tricky. Um, so they're, they're, they're both, both definitions use this term agent or agency, which, which I found interesting. But anyway, if you did GCSE or O-levels, if you're, you're very old like me, um, you may remember this if you did biology. And this is uh, the act of photosynthesis. So light is absolutely crucial uh, to the biological world, and many others will come back to that in a minute. But in simple terms... Uh, Plants, as you know, take in carbon dioxide. They need water. They need nutrients as well, but we'll come back to that later. And then light uh, helps to provide the energy to turn that into sugar or carbohydrate and oxygen. And, of course, the plant gives off oxygen. So that's your O-level. Now, I remember, uh, I'll have to read... I have to remind you that I did have to go back over this again because I did biology at degree. And I remember looking at this, but if you can imagine sort of five years... Uh, five years ahead of, of, of GCSE. And we got diagrams like this. Okay, yeah, I've absolutely noticed a stunned silence. <laughs> and this is the sort of thing that, that, that maybe A-level, I don't know if A-level, because it's even longer since it did A-level, I don't know whether this is familiar with A-level uh, biology or, or degree. But the point is that what happens is that the, a photon of light strikes the chlorophyll, right? You're probably familiar with chlorophyll, what, what makes plants green. And right in the membrane, Right in the membrane, it's given a special name, it's the thylakoid lumen. Right in the membrane of that, whenever a photon of light hits it, it frees up an electron. And that electron provides what's called a charge or a potential difference or an energy gradient. And all of the rest of those reactions start to fire up. Because of that photon of light releasing that one electron, it provides energy, provides a charge for all of this to happen. Now, what do you see when you look at that? You think, oh, my goodness, when's he going to stop? Do you, know what, do you know what I see when I look at a picture like this? I see a miracle. I see an honest-to-God miracle. I'm not being blasphemous in that term. I see a God miracle there. Because if you look out just through the windows there, you'll see a few green plants. And this reaction is happening time after time after time after time, not just in a leaf, but in each chlorophyll each tiny little cell of every plant all the time whenever the sun is shining on it and if you then take all the trees that even we can see just i can see a few trees through the window here and we magnify that with the the trees that you're going to pass and the plants that you're going to pass on the way home all of this energy is being created by the sunlight science hasn't taken away from what god has done science has has made me think that is absolutely amazing. That is absolutely fantastic. All of this stuff, much of it I don't even understand and certainly find it hard to remember, but all of this stuff is going on. It's an absolute miracle how it's going on. It really is. I find it absolutely amazing. <clears throat> and it helps us to think back of just how great God actually is. If you ask somebody else, what is light? Obviously, I, I sort of come at it from a biology point of view because that was, was my, what my degree was in. But if you ask uh, uh, somebody studying physics or art or looking at aesthetics, geography, they might look at the weather, you know, in terms of the impact of the sun. I've talked a little bit about photosynthesis. Cosmologists who are interested in the development of the universe, how the universe came to be, um, and, and the, the development of it. Uh, astronomy, which is different, the branch of science, which deals with, with planets and stars, from, uh, where light has traveled for millions and millions of years to get to where we are today. They all have a sort of a different idea of what light is about or what light tells them. 
And it really is absolutely wonderful. We hear, um, not stories, but we hear how science tries to explain how light tells us about planets and stars that are, are literally um, thousands and thousands and millions, in fact, millions and millions and millions of miles away. Again, what does that mean to you? Does that, do, you do you believe that? Do you think it makes God small? Or do you think it takes away from God? I, I don't. Because that beauty of that, that picture that I took uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, and that's the same God that, that put the star. We sing that, God who flung the stars into space. And there's something in that line that I'm not overly comfortable with because, you know, there, there's this idea of, of just thing. Every star, every planet, every, every constellation, the Milky Way, everything, that's design. God put it there. God wanted it to be there. And God made that, made that happen. And people can argue about how it did it and how God did it and so on. But God put it there. Uh, God is the God of the big, but he's also the God of the small. So the same miracle that is happening in each and every plant cell that we can see outside is the same miracle that's happening in stars that are burning thousands and thousands of miles away. That's what the light does. That's what the light shows me. That's what light tells me. It tells me that God is great. Our God is a great big God. That's what it tells me. Um, the, the science earlier on mentioned a little bit about the electromagnetic spectrum. And um, just in case you're, you're wondering about you're probably not wondering about that at all, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, how do we see light? Well, basically what, what the theory is that we see light because light is that part of the electromagnetic spectrum, which includes X-rays and radio waves and all sorts of things. And we see light because the light is at a certain frequency that doesn't make what they call a permanent change. And a permanent is my, is my use of there. They talk about a lasting um, change at, at the molecular level. So in other words, in our eyes, our eyes see light because the photons of light are coming in and they're making a change. And our brains interpret all of that. And then we can see, we identify people, or oh, you people looking very bored sitting out here and looking very warm. That's a miracle. The eye is a miracle. All of that, to me, says God is great. That's what light says to me. Then um, there's this concept as well that for, for a long time there was a debate, uh, if that's the right term, as to whether light was a, par- uh, a particle or light was a wave because light um, in certain conditions acts like a particle. Uh, when it strikes certain conditions and certain molecules and so on, it gave off. So in other words, it had, you had to get the idea that something was hitting um, whatever it happened to be, to get particles to come off. But then also light also had this idea of being in a wave because in certain conditions, light exhibits the properties of waves. And uh, so again, basically, scientists have come up with this idea, where is it? The, the wave-particle duality. What did you learn at church tonight? Wave-particle duality, you can say. And basically what the idea, how scientists have put this together is that they say light travels in waves, but when it reaches the point where it is being, um, where it's being used, if that's, a, if that's the right term, it collapses. It collapses to a colossal amount of energy, and that's where you actually see. That's where the photon of, of light actually becomes its energy in photosynthesis or in our eyes. The best example I could give you is the waves of the ocean. Um, if you look out towards the back now, it's probably it's not an ideal picture because you can see it's quite a stormy day because you can see the, 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 the white on the tops of the waves. But you can't see the waves. You can't really make out the waves so clearly. But you can certainly make out the waves when they hit the lighthouse. 
there's that moment where the waves hit the lighthouse and there's this colossal uh, explosion of, of water and, and white foam and so on. And that's how they describe um, how, how light works. Are you with me so far? There's going to be a test later on. No, 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 there isn't. Anyway, at a particular lecture, um, we were coming out of, of, of a lecture on, on photosynthesis and plant physiology and so on. And there was one of the, one of the students, one of the, one of the girls, he said, he says, I don't get this photon stuff. I don't get it at all. Light just is. Light just is. What's, what, what do we need to know all about this for? Well, the fact that you're studying biology, I suppose, is quite important, but there we go. But we don't need to understand how light works. You don't need to understand uh, how photosynthesis works to be a good gardener, I suppose, as long as you know not to keep plants in the dark. And I know gardeners will tell you, well, that needs a certain amount of light, and that needs to go here, and that needs to go there. Gardeners will be able to tell you how much light they'll need. But you don't need to understand what light is and the properties and, and wave particle duality. You don't need to know that to be able to make use of it and to understand it. And that's an important thought process. So I want to try and keep that. Forget about all the other stuff, but remember, you don't need to understand to accept that light is all around you. So we're thinking then enough about the physical nature of light. What was it Jesus was saying when he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of light. And to to look at this, it's useful to look at the context um, in which he is um, in which he is speaking. This is obviously in chapter eight, and it was very interesting. Then I was flicking through front, uh, you know, through the chapters whenever uh, Danny was preaching this morning, because obviously we've got in, in chapter seven we've got Jesus, uh, as I was thinking about here, uh, goes to the festival of the tabernacles, and then we've got um, John eight, where um, Jesus heals a man born blind. Um, but that, as I said, that's for another sermon. We're not going to talk about that. And then a little bit later on, in chapter 9, in fact, Jesus seeks out the man who was born blind and, and talks to him because he, he ended up with a lot of criticism and a lot of difficulty with the Pharisees. And then we get into the story in the latter chapters of, um, of Lazarus and that wonderful story of Lazarus coming from the darkness of death. So I've been struck by this amazing connectivity um, that there is in, in terms of this, these ideas of light. Anyway, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it's useful to have we think about uh, what's just happened uh, before, or certainly happening at the same time. Um, and we, get, we read about that in, in chapter 7, uh, about the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Bible's very clear about Jesus going to this Feast of Tabernacles. And this Feast of Tabernacles um, originated uh, way back in, in Leviticus, and it celebrated the deliverance of the children of Israel out of, of Egypt, but it particularly marked their time of wandering. Uh, and I was sort of thinking about that. That seems to be a strange thing to be marking because they had to wander for 40 years because of their disobedience. But really, I suppose, where we're thinking about it, where the truth is, is that God cared for them. Um, God cared for them. They had to build these little booths as they were traveling around the wilderness. And today, uh, and this is a picture of, of 
Pinterest. I keep calling it Pinterest. Pinterest. This is a picture of, of a booth. So even today, in the same way that we would maybe decorate our houses at Christmas time, um, at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, Jewish people will, will set these little booths out. Um, and they'll celebrate. They'll sometimes they'll invite people around to them, and they'll maybe sleep in them, depending on, on, on the booth that they, they put together. But this is something that's still celebrated uh, today. But in Jesus' time, it marked the, as I said, the, the wandering of the children of Israel, and most importantly, of God's provision. And one of the commentaries that, that uh, Gary uh, lent me for in terms of preparation that was very useful in explaining about the feast of the tabernacles. Because there were two very, well, there were a whole range of different rituals, but two very important rituals which relate to Jesus talking about being the light um, of the world. And the first was that the priest used to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, that's important. And if you read chapter, I think I might have said chapter 8 in about the healing of the, the man. It was actually chapter 9. Um, but if you read chapter 9, uh, where Jesus made a little paste um, from mud, and he put it on the man's eyes, and he told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So this is important, this, this pool. But the priest would have gone to the pool of Siloam, and with a, a jug or a pitcher, he would have taken the water, and he would have poured it um, over the altar at the temple. So, and whenever we think about Jesus then talking about people, uh, Jesus called people to drink of the living water from himself. And he pointed to the Holy Spirit and in fact, in, in John chapter 7 and 37, uh, Jesus said, he said, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So in this physical act of the priest taking water out of the pool of Siloam and pouring it over, Jesus was saying that it'll be like you being poured out, or sorry, being poured in with the Holy Spirit. And again, of course, this is the connection. When Jesus said, your body, or in fact, sorry, Paul said, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what did the priest do? He poured water from the pool of Siloam over the altar. We are the temple, and the Holy Spirit is poured out by Jesus into us. And that's profound. That's profound. This was a major part of this festival, and that's profound. And Jesus was identifying himself with that, and that's something that we need to be very aware of, and we'll come back to that um, in a moment. The second of the, the major events was that there were four massive lights. Now, this is a, an artist's impression, and we're not quite, and I think, I don't think people are quite sure if it exactly looked like this, but it gives us an idea. There were four massive lights uh, that were lit um, every night in the temple. So I suppose what would have been naturally a quite a gloomy place, certainly at night, all of a sudden was bathed in this fantastic light. And these light lamps were lit um, every single night except for the last one. All but one was lit. And the idea of that was that they were waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, and the King. And when Jesus said, I am, 
I'm the light of the world. He was saying, do you remember when they light those, those lamps but they leave one unlit because they're waiting for the Messiah? I'm the Messiah. That's, that's who I am. And again and again, he pointed to his divinity and he pointed to his kingship. And he was saying, I am the light of the world. I am the Messiah. So it wasn't just figurative in terms of showing people the right way, which he does. But he was also saying, I am the Messiah. And this is what, what caused the Pharisees immediately recognize this. And this is what caused them to immediately criticize and to attack Jesus. And we read about that um, in the readings um, earlier on. One of the um, issues, again, linking through with what Deborah was saying last week, and the I am, meaning I was and I always will be. And I find that, that looking at, at these uh, readings here, apologies for the highlighted, for some reason I highlighted that one on the right. Um, in in uh, Genesis, in the, what is that, the third, where are we? Yeah, we are. In the third verse of the Bible, of Genesis chapter 1, in fact, reading from verse 2, the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. Now let's think about that and for what we've been thinking about. Remember what I was saying, what darkness was uh, absence of light and that is not the way that God wanted it to be. He did not want there to be the darkness so he said, let there be light, and there was light. And in verse 4, God saw that the light was good. God saw that the light was good. Everything uh, Ruth was saying about how light promotes truth, everything about light, everything about Christ, everything about God is good. And I suppose we have to be careful that people tell us that things about Christ or things about God or things about the Bible are not good. And there's a, there's, a, there's a reminder of that, that everything to do with the light of the world, of the light of Jesus Christ, is good. And God saw that it was good right back in Genesis. And then if we fast forward to the very end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, and um, John writes in his Revelation, I, didn't, I did not see a temple in the city. There was no temple in the holy city. Because the Lord God... Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. They, were, they are there. Uh, God and Jesus are there. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. So you have the I was, and you have the I will be, running right throughout the whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture, and we see Jesus right in the, in the middle saying that I am the light of the world. And we're living, I suppose, in the I am part of this. But we have the heritage of the I was, and we have the hope of the I will be. Now, you may be familiar with this piece of writing. If this sounds overly complicated, and my apologies, it's me that's done that, because it's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. It's knowing that uh, God loves us, but it's more than that. It's knowing that God has good for us. God does not want us to live in darkness in the same way that God does not want us to live in physical darkness. So we have the creation story in, in Genesis. 
we have the light and the darkness. And we know that when we're going through the period of darkness in terms of nighttime, that dawn is approaching. It comes quite early at the, more, at the moment, but certainly a lot later in December. But we know that dawn approaches. And we know that in difficult times, that where God maybe seems remote and we do seem to be going through a period of darkness, we trust that the dawn is coming. And we trust that, that God is with us all the time. So it's, it's not complicated, but it's profound. And it's important that we try and, and remember and go back over and revisit that. And we'll, as I said, we will be thinking about that. So the identity of God is summed up in, in the I am who I am that, that Deborah shared so articulately last week. The identity of God and Jesus, as I've said here in my notes, is completely and utterly linked in, in the I am the light of the world. But it also, as Deborah was saying, it confirms our identity. Because in the second part, whoever follows me will never, never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So our identity is made perfect in Christ and only in Christ. And there's one of those exclusive issues that we come across in Christianity that sometimes other people criticize us for. The whoever part, the whoever indicates that the choice is ours. And, and there is that element of it to whoever follows me. And, and we, we do have this idea of, of the choice of, of choosing. We know that the disciples and the apostles chose to follow the light of the world. We know that the Pharisees and many others chose to follow the darkness or to live in the darkness. So, I suppose the second part then, and it'll be a lot shorter than the first, don't worry, it's not halves, um, is the, how do we live in the light? Now, when I sat down, I was sitting roughly where, where, where Stephen and Alan are this morning, and, and I suppose if I'd been a wee bit more organized, I would have got my, my camera out and would have taken pictures, because when I, I was struck when I saw these banners, I'm just going to move out of the way, because these banners are absolutely perfectly what living in the light is about. So I, I, I've got some, some scripture here, which I'm, I'm going to go through. And I think what, what we, what, again, this was Ruth, sorry, thank you for this, Ruth. So what Ruth shared really ties in with what, what's on these banners. So let's have a look at the first one. Uh, how do we live in the light? So Jude said, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So it's, that is, is, is asking uh, us to remember what we've been told or what we've been foretold or in this particular version here. So it's about, it's about preaching. It's about teaching. It's about sharing in house groups. It's about reading our, 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 our Bibles. It's about hungering for, for His Spirit. It's wanting to know what God wants to say in our lives. So what, what Jude is saying is exactly what we've got on these banners that's why I was so encouraged uh, to, to see these. Let's see what else was said in Jude. Uh, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love. Okay, So, um, praying in the Holy Spirit, hungering for His Spirit, uh, keeping, your whole, um, was it? keeping yourselves in, in God's love, uh, remembering God. All of these, again, coming up again and again, and the last one especially, these last two, I think. Be merciful to those who doubt. Now, caring for one another 
is about people who are less fortunate physically, who, who don't have it in terms of poverty, um, and, and, and that's very, very important. But have we also thought about spiritual poverty, about those who are going through difficult times, doubting times? And sometimes Christians in, in churches, when they go through doubts, they find it very hard to confide in people. When they have ideas and they're not sure about those ideas, and they talk to people, sometimes people can be quite critical. And they say, you shouldn't be having those thoughts. Now, they're nervous too because they, they, they feel, gosh, this, these aren't good thoughts that people are having. But it's, it's helping people in love and it's supporting people. And being merciful was, was exactly the phrase that's used here. So when it says we care for one another, yes, it's about the times when people are ill. Yes, it's about the times when people are, are in poverty or, or destitute. And of course, those are very, very important. But it's also about caring for one another whenever times are difficult spiritually. And I often think, sometimes I think maybe churches can miss out a little bit of this. There are so many people who, who understand in our world today about helping one another and, and, and charities that don't have a Christian background, but there's no doubt that they help a lot of people and they do a lot of good and are worthy of support. But they will never be able to support people who are going through personal issues in terms of their faith and in terms of, of, of ideas that they may be having about what God means or how could God do that or how could this happen. And the church has to be open and Christians have to be open to caring for one another spiritually as well as caring for one another um, physically. And loving our neighbors, uh, again, doing exactly the same things, caring for one another, helping one another, but also praying for one another. I know I'm not good at that. Praying for one another, supporting and encouraging and having fellowship with neighbors as well as being nice to them and lending them a lawnmower from time to time. So we've, we've thought about physical light and, and, as far as I'm concerned, the miracle of physical light. And we've thought briefly about spiritual light and, and what it means to be the light of the world and about Jesus saying that he was the light of the world and how that goes from, and it reflects the I am God as well from the, from the origins, from, from Genesis, right through to now, to today, and right through to the future that we read about in Revelation. And we're going to, I'm sorry, i just take those off there. I've done those too. So the last thing then that we're going to do this evening, and this is the bit that I was talking about. If you can imagine the, the, the priest taking the pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam and pouring it over the altar. And I suppose that's what we're, we're, we're asking God to do now, to ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to be poured into our lives to show the revelation of what it means to be the light of the world. And I've got some music and some photographs. And, and there, the, the video is in two parts. The first part is, is entitled, What Do You See? And there are lots of, of lovely pictures. And I suppose the idea of what I'm trying to put across is, they're lovely pictures, but do you see them as lovely pictures? Or do you see them with the eyes of God? In other words, do you see creation? Do you see miracles? Do you see compassion? Do you see opportunity? Do you see opportunity to hunger for a spirit, to read the word, to care for one another, to love our neighbors, or in the words that, that Jude spoke earlier on or that we read about in Jude earlier on? Do you see those opportunities or do you just see pictures? And the idea of what I'm, I'm trying to, to get you to do is to think about that as you leave these doors later on and you meet people and you see things and you read things and you watch things on television 
what, what is God saying to you about all of those things in your life as you go to work maybe tomorrow or go on holidays or whatever it is you're doing? What is God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit? Because that pitcher of water is poured out to you on you all the time if you want it. And are you letting yourself run dry? Am I letting myself run dry? Is that, what, is that you know, do we need to ask God to pour that pitcher of water over us again like the, like the priest did at the Feast of Tabernacles over the altar in the temple? Because we don't have to wait until the Feast of Tabernacles. That can happen at any particular time. So we're going to spend about three minutes now in this. So, uh, Andrew, if you could cue that up, please. just as I sit and my mouth is dry from speaking maybe too much I'm aware that maybe there are some here this evening who feel dry spiritually who need the Lord to go to the equivalent of the pool of Siloam and just as the priest lifted a, a pitcher of water, a jug of water and poured it over the altar Lord Jesus Christ wants to anoint your spirit with the Holy Spirit so that you don't become the dry like like my voice is at the moment but streams of living water will flow from your spirit changing you and changing those around you in your family, your friends, in your workplace where you go on holiday because you are a new creation. You become light in darkness. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are the light of the world. We thank you, Lord, that you brought light into the world because you did not like the darkness. We thank you that light promotes truth. That light guides us to joy, to love, to peace, to Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be constantly reminded of the need to know and the need to put into practice what being the light of the world is about. To hunger for your spirit, to read our Bibles and to pray, to care for other people, to love our neighbours. Lord, it isn't difficult. It isn't complicated. It's perhaps one of the most simple things in the world. But Lord, help us to have the courage and the conviction to do it, to be the light of the world, to show light to other people, and to shine our light, your light, in the darkness of this world. We pray all this in the name of our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ, the light of the world.